Good morning. You have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 12. <clears throat> and once you've found that, just turn over a few pages to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 20, 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's always a privilege for me to get to stand here and, and share uh, God's Word with you. It's been a few weeks since we've seen you and been here. We've been traveling the last few weeks. Uh, I know several of you know uh, I pastored uh, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Missouri for 11 years, and so we were... Uh, they expected us to be there every Sunday, uh, shockingly enough, right? And uh, so it's, it's kind of been a, uh, like a, a restful thing for Tamara and the family and I to get to visit uh, other pastor friends that, that pastor churches. And we were in Missouri a couple weeks ago and visiting a pastor friend that just, he and his wife are, are just struggling, as we all do at times. And so it's good to visit with them next week. We're going to be in Missouri again at, at Mount Zion, and I would ask you to be praying for Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Um, the last Sunday that I preached there was Easter last year, and they are still looking for a pastor. And um, there was a time, at least in Arkansas, where you could you know throw a rock and you could hit a preacher, right? Um, and that's never really been the case in Missouri, um, especially among the Missionary Baptist churches up there. It's harder now to find uh, men to pastor churches, um, but it's even harder in Missouri. Um, just uh, for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know what to attribute that to, but they are, um, they are searching for a pastor. So pray for them. Uh, Mount Zion's a wonderful church, faithful church. They were just so loving and generous to us, and, and uh, we, we pray for them um, on a regular basis. So we would ask that you do the same. This morning, I want to speak to you about boundless grace for crippled sinners. Boundless grace for crippled sinners. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For I say... Through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Uh, it's tempting uh, to think of ourselves more highly than we should. Psalm 106 verse 7 says, Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Forgetting God's great acts of mercy and grace and his blessings is common, unfortunately, right? It's common, but that doesn't make it less grievous to the Lord. And, and for that reason, the Lord calls us, He calls His people repeatedly to remember what He's done for them and how 
uh, they've responded to him. And so we need not forget. What does that mean? We need to remember, right? If we say we need not forget, that means we need to remember. We need to remember that there is absolutely nothing that makes us worthy of the gracious and merciful love that God demonstrates toward us as sinners. And we need to also be reminded that nothing else can save us but the love that he demonstrated toward us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So my prayer is that our scripture reading today serves as a reminder, okay, that we, or at least I, so often need of the boundless grace that God shows to crippled, hopeless sinners. Uh, let's look, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we're going to start reading at verse 12. The scripture says, And Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I send not unto thee, and show it thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee, and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace, and the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only, while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now turn with me. Just probably a few pages in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to start reading at verse 1 here. 2 Samuel 9 verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? He said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son, pardon me, of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness." For Jonathan, for thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word, Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, um, thank you for your grace, your boundless grace that you do show us as sinners. We are thankful and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, if there's any account in the Bible that I think most of us are probably familiar with, it's, it's Saul and David and Jonathan and the relationships that they had. And, and time and again, Saul tried to hunt down David and kill him. And we know ultimately he was not successful at that, right? Eventually, Saul took his own life after losing a battle against the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. And Jonathan, Saul's son, who was also David's best friend, he was also killed in that same battle where Saul took his life. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 31. And what happened after that was a civil war in the nation of Israel. And Saul's followers were fighting against David and his allies. And there was one problem, though, okay? For Saul's followers, at least. God had promised to make who the king? David, right? He promised to make David king. And so we know that God keeps his promises. So David, the son of Jesse, he finally prevailed and he ascended to the throne of Israel. And after having been made king, one of the first things that David did was to look for a way to be faithful to the covenant with Jonathan that he had made so many years before. That's what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 20. That was the account of, of Jonathan and David covenanting together. And so David, now that he's on the throne, he wants to be faithful to a promise that he has uh, made to his best friend. And so he starts looking for someone from Jonathan's house so that he could follow through on this pledge not to cut off this steadfast love from the line of Jonathan. And so what David does is he begins searching the kingdom, searching his kingdom. And David found Jonathan's son, and his name was Mephibosheth. Not going to make the top ten of boy names, uh, boy baby names this year, I don't think. Mephibosheth, what a name. <clears throat> David brought Mephibosheth into his house. And Mephibosheth, um, I knew I was going to get my tongue tied at least once. The King James that I read to you from, it says that Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. Mephibosheth was, was crippled. And it says that David exalted him to his own table. Okay. Now this was an extraordinary act of kindness and generosity on the part of David. Especially since he made sure that Mephibosheth would always eat at the king's table, because eating at the king's table was a place of profound importance and intimacy in the royal court. But what's also kind of astounding about this was the relationship between David and Saul, right? I mean, it was the house of Saul, with the exception of Jonathan, that was trying to kill David, 
Okay, So you have someone here in Mephibosheth, one of the remaining uh, survivors, if you will, of, of David's enemies. And David seeks him out so that he could exalt him to a place of prominence and show him grace. Mephibosheth was in a totally alienated position before David sought him out. And it was because of that association. He was part of the the former regime, right? What happens when a a new president takes office? Well, if they were in a different party, what happens? All the old people are gone and it's all new people, right? And it doesn't matter what party it is, that's just what happens. It's out with the old and in with the new, right? And, And it's no different here. In normal cases, he would have been considered an enemy of the throne of David. Mephibosheth, in and of himself, especially when you consider his condition, he had no hope. Okay? Yet this is a man that was taken from an alienated position, literally an enemy of the king, and restored fully to the king. And given him this exalted position at the king's table. What a story. What a story. What a great... Uh, well, that, that would make a great movie, wouldn't it? It's a great... It's, 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 it's like Rudy, right? It's an underdog story, right? I mean, how wonderful. Well, there's more that I want you to see than just the story of an underdog. Okay? There's more here than that. What I want us to see is that the account of Mephibosheth serves as an illustration for what happens to us in salvation. Say, what do you mean, Matt? Well, from birth, we are crippled in heart and mind, unable to love or to serve the Lord. Why? Because we're sinners. We're sinners. Now, I've always been kind of surprised at, at, at those parents, and, and we've all seen these parents, that they think their children do nothing wrong. You ever known a parent like that? I, and I think, you know, oh, little Johnny, you know, uh, he would never do that, you know. Oh, yes, Johnny would. Uh, I, I have never uh, been under the illusion that our children were perfect. Matter of fact, pretty soon after their birth, um, the fact that they were sinners was confirmed. Okay? I knew it. I knew it. And we are no different. We are sinners from birth, crippled by our sin with no hope. But the wonderful thing is this God does not leave us in that poor estate. Rather, what he does is lifts us up to his kingdom and allows us to sit at his table and commune with him. Listen to this. Just like Mephibosheth, we were born into the wrong family. Mephibosheth, you know, at first it, it appeared like he was born in the right family, being of the, of the line of Saul and Jonathan, right? 
till everything falls apart. Then he's in the wrong family, right? And, but the truth is, he was in the wrong family from the beginning because God never desired for Saul to be the king of his people, right? He was, Mephibosheth was born into this house of Saul, a house full of rebellion, a house full of disobedience to God. But guess what? So were all of us, okay? Not physically, but spiritually. The Bible teaches us that all of us, you know what family we were born into? We were born into Adam's family. Not the Adam's family, okay? But Adam's family. All right, the original man that God created, uh, that that walked in the garden with Him in the cool of the day. We were born into that family, but listen to what Romans five twelve says. It says, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." Now, if any of you were raised on the Roman road and, and uh, knowing to present the Roman road to someone when sharing uh, about salvation, that's one of those key texts from the Roman road because it declares unto us that we are all sinners. And we were all like Mephibosheth, born into the wrong house, the house of Adam, so that we are all sinners. That's the bad news, right? But listen, good news really isn't good until we understand the bad news first. Scripture tells us in John 8, 44, that before knowing Jesus, Satan was our father. Ephesians 2, 2 tells us that we were children of disobedience. We were actually reading in Ephesians uh, in our family worship time at home and we're actually in Ephesians 2 right now and we've covered that passage quite often <laughs> the, the idea of children of disobedience uh, hoping that that sinks in just a little bit okay <clears throat> but we're all like that we're all children of disobedience like Mephibosheth, we were alienated from God because we were born into the wrong family. Scripture is very plain that prior to our being saved, we are enemies of God. Just like Mephibosheth, we're crippled from a fall. Mephibosheth was lame on both feet. He could not walk. The first man, Adam, experienced a fall in the Garden of Eden. We call it the fall of man. Adam passed that fallen nature down to mankind. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 21 and 22, Paul said, by man came death, and in Adam we all die. That's why death is here. It's because of sin. All death is because of sin. We all experience a fallen Adam. According to Romans 3.23, what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, Romans road. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does that tell us? 
It tells us that we've been crippled spiritually by the fall. We cannot achieve or attain heaven by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps through our own effort, our own work, our own goodness. We can't be made right with God by trying to be good. There are no good works that we can do to accomplish salvation for ourselves. We can't do anything because we are crippled beggars. Crippled by the fall. And like Mephibosheth, we had nowhere to go. The scripture that we read said that Mephibosheth lived in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means in the Hebrew language? It means no pasture. No pasture. Kind of makes me think, Tamara and I, we, um, so here's a prayer request for you. We still own a home in Missouri. And um, so I, I call it our summer home now, you know. Uh, Lord willing, it's going to close this Friday. So pray for that, that it closes, because I don't want to own two right now. But um, Lord willing, we would like to build a house at some point. And so every now and then, we'll on a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon, we'll go out and we'll look at some, some land that may be for sale. And um, a few weeks ago, we did that. We went out driving. I saw 200 acres for sale. And um, the price just seemed too good to be true, you know. And what I was thinking, I was thinking, man, if they're, because I grew up on a farm, we raised cows, but we had timber. And I'm thinking, hey, if there's any timber on this land, then I could thin some of the timber, pay for that. We'd have our own 200-acre farm, and we can have sheep and goats and cows and pigs and everything, right? And we go out and we look at this land, and it looked like a load of bar. I, I found out very quickly why it was so cheap. It had been completely clear-cut, and it looked awful. Not some place that we would like to be. It was a load of bar because it was in low ground too. And it was rather wet. Like Mephibosheth, we had nowhere to go. Lodabar, no pasture. Mephibosheth was left to scour barren, dry wasteland to meet his needs. What a description. What a description of the world today, right? The evil that's in it. It promises people, the world around us promises people pleasure, peace, prosperity, uh, but it, it can't do anything to remedy our sin problem, right? It can't give us peace with God. People search for that. They search for, for things of this world to give them peace, but it can't be found in any place other than our Lord. The world can do nothing to fill the innermost spiritual need of our very souls. And just like Mephibosheth, we are in an alienated position before salvation. Born into the wrong family. Crippled by a fall. Nowhere to go. Folks, 
We are Mephibosheth. Okay? That's who we are. We're just like him. Just like him. Why in the world would David do something like he did? Why would he show such mercy and grace and kindness to this enemy of his, crippled from a fall, nowhere to go? Why would he do this? David showed Mephibosheth kindness, according to 2 Samuel chapter 9, for Jonathan's sake his best friend. He didn't do this because of what Mephibosheth had to offer. Have you ever heard you're the average, you are the average of your five closest friends? Have you ever heard that? Think about it. When I heard that, the first time I thought, well, I need some new friends. <laughs> it's not bad advice, is it? <laughs> Mephibosheth didn't have anything to offer David whatsoever. Okay? David didn't do it because of what he could give. He did it because of Jonathan, his best friend. They had made a covenant. And because of that covenant, David showed Mephibosheth kindness. And I want us to look closely at, at, at that word covenant. What, what is a covenant? Some think it's just a, a promise or a commitment. It's more than that. Okay, uh, A covenant is more than a commitment. It's more than a promise. It's, it's more than a contract. Pardon me. At its most basic level, a covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two parties. Or two or more parties. And one that we should be familiar with is marriage, right? It's an oath-bound relationship. Tamara and I, when we got married, we, we took vows. We made oaths to each other, vows to each other. Entered into a covenant with each other. Sickness and health, right? Poverty and wealth. With that covenant in mind, let's look back at 2 Samuel, verse 1. The word rendered kindness in English is the Hebrew word hesed. Okay? Hesed. In the Old Testament, hesed is a, a central theological term. It's a key attribute of the way the, the Lord describes himself in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Listen as I, as I read that to you. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness. That word goodness there in Exodus 34, verse 6 is the word hesed, the Hebrew word hesed. And it means covenant faithfulness 
and true. Verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. So, and upon the children's children and upon the third and the fourth generation. The Lord, in describing himself in his very word, used the word hesed, covenant faithfulness. And there's, there is no exact English equivalent for the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, it's proved very hard for Bible translators. That's, that's the difficulty of translating Old Testament Hebrew uh, into English and, and New Testament Greek and some, some Aramaic thrown in there too. That's the difficulty of that. It, it is difficult because sometimes there's words in those old languages where there isn't just some clear cut, easy word to translate to. And if you, uh, I was reading to you from the, from the King James, if you have another version there, you might have seen um, the word kindness. You might have seen the word faithfulness. You might have seen mercy. You might have seen goodness, loyalty. You may, your Bible may render it steadfast love. And you know what? All of those are correct. And it honestly, it almost takes all of those to really sum up and adequately describe the Hebrew word hesed, covenant faithfulness. Steadfast love, mercy, goodness, loyalty, faithfulness. David lifted up Mephibosheth out of a great love for Jonathan. And our heavenly father lifts us up on account of his great love. For his only begotten son, Jesus. And just like Mephibosheth, the mercy and great shown to us by God the Father, it isn't based on anything that we can offer. Okay? I mean, what could we offer to God? Any of you have people that's difficult to buy for at Christmas? I, I, my parents are the most difficult people to, to buy for. A few years, well, right after Tamara and I got married, we thought, you know, well, <laughs> this is what kind of informed this decision. We got married, we didn't have any luggage, okay? I mean, we got married, we didn't have anything, really. We didn't have any luggage, and so we had to borrow my mom and dad's luggage to go on our honeymoon. And when we saw the condition of that luggage... <laughs> We said, hey, here's a gift idea for my mom and dad. We, we, uh, that next Christmas, we bought them some nice luggage. Luggage you wouldn't be embarrassed to uh, take to the hotel or board the airplane with. And you know what? It just went on a shelf. It got stuck back somewhere. Like, they're fine with that old ugly nasty luggage and they didn't care anything about this lovely gift of new luggage that we had gotten them you know but here's the thing my mom and dad they're retired they, they worked very hard for 40 years for the things that they have and if if they want something they pretty much can go get it okay and there's just not a lot 
that we really have to offer in 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 way of of giving them something. Okay? It's kind of difficult. And they appreciate it, or at least they pretend to. Uh, That's just a a very small glimpse of us before God. We truly have absolutely nothing to offer to the creator of the universe that has everything or can speak into existence anything and everything that he desires. Not that he is of want. Okay? Mephibosheth didn't have anything to offer. We don't have anything to offer a creator God. But 2,000 years ago, there was a covenant made between God the Father and God the Son. And it was sealed through the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. And that covenant provides for the forgiveness of sins anyone that would place their faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Just like David had mercy on Mephibosheth because of Jonathan, God the Father has mercy on us and receives us based on covenant faithfulness as well. The covenant made on the cross at Calvary. Mephibosheth was shown mercy by the king, but it didn't stop there. It wasn't simply that he received mercy instead of judgment. He also received an exalted position from David. David restored to Mephibosheth all the land of Saul. And through Christ, God restores to his children all that was lost in Adam. In Adam, we lost life. In Christ, we gain life. In Adam, we lost fellowship with God. And in Christ, we are made acceptable to God and can live daily in his presence. David had someone provide for Mephibosheth all that he needed because Mephibosheth couldn't do it for himself. Just like David sent servants to do the work for Mephibosheth, God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins because there was no way that we could do the work. We're helpless. We needed someone to step in and obey the law perfectly and be that sinless sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice to God that was needed by us so that we could be redeemed. And guess what? God didn't stop there. He didn't stop there. He sent the Holy Ghost to indwell us, His children. And do the work of God through us. I'll have to save that sermon for you another time. But I love how the scriptures call the Holy Ghost um, the Comforter. (laughs) That's just good stuff. Jesus said, I'm going to send to you another Comforter. 
another one. And you know, I, I'm totally getting off my subject, but I just love this so much, I've got to tell you this. So, <clears throat> when we think of the Comforter and we think of the Holy Spirit, you know, what do we often think of? We think of the one that's going to uh, comfort us, right? Because we think that word comfort. Comfort us when we're, when we're grieving, right? Some translations call him the, the helper, right? He's going to help us as we uh, read and study our Bible. And you know what? All of those things are true, right? But it's interesting about the English language. The English language is, is informed by all kinds of stuff. It's informed by uh, ancient Norse and, and, and some, some of the language of the Germanic tribes and, and Latin and, and all that. And so in the King James, it's rendered comforter. And, and it's from the Latin phrase. It's, it's two words, cum, which means with, and forte, which means strength. How many of you are musicians? Any musicians here? Oh, there's, there's a few. So what, Brother David, when, when you see that little stylized F on, on, on music, what, is it, what does it mean to do? It's forte, exactly. And it means to... to Play with intensity, right? Or with strength. <laughs> Even now, if we say someone is good at something, it's their forte, right? And so, uh, when, when the Lord said He was going to send us another comforter, that, that old King James, it had that Latinized idea of the word cum forte. He's going to send someone to give us strength. <laughs> How about that? That's good stuff. We're not just saved from hell, which is good news, right? That's great news. But we're also put in this exalted position and given this, the Holy Spirit who is this comforter, this one that will, yes, help us in grief. Yes, guide us in the Scriptures, but also someone to give us strength so that we can stand for the truth. Folks, if you're saved today, God has given you an exalted position in Christ Jesus. Just like Mephibosheth, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the mercy and grace shown to us by God when we were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And just like Mephibosheth, we were all once alienated and had no hope, but are now seated in heavenly places for all eternity. When I began, I said we needed to remember, right? We need to remember that God truly loves his people. But we also need to remember that there's absolutely nothing in us that makes us worthy of such love. He saves us on account of his promises and covenant faithfulness to Jesus Christ and his love for his son. And that is a marvelous blessing. A marvelous, boundless grace that the Lord shows to crippled sinners. Because he loves us in Christ, we can be assured that he will love us forever. Covenant faithfulness, never allowing anyone, even ourselves, to take us from his mighty hand. 
Let us be grateful for that redemption that we don't deserve, but that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.